Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now here's your host. Hi, everybody. Welcome to All Autism Talk. Our podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, a leading ABA provider serving families across the country. I'm your host, Katherine Johnson. My guest today is Jennifer Cook. Jennifer is the best-selling author of seven books. Her latest book is Autism in Heels, the untold story of a female life on the spectrum. Jennifer was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome at the age of 35 and is also raising three kids on the spectrum. I sat down with her to discuss this latest book, her memoir. One thing before you listen, we talk about how much this book made me cry, but I want to clarify that it's by no means a depressing book. It is vulnerable, it is startling, it's honest, and it's really funny. I'm just a crier. It's so good that I have been recommending this book to all my friends, those who are in the autism community and those who are just human. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jennifer. Jennifer Cook, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm going to have to apologize in advance. I'm going to be sipping my coffee as we chit chat here today. So if I go silent for a minute, Aaron, <laughs> that is right there. That I've got the my tea as well. So it's the lifeblood of all that I must do. So every mother around here probably knows the exact same thing. So yes, it is the it is the call of the woman. <laughs> for sure. I first I have to start by telling you just how much I loved your book. Thank you. This is the memoir. This is Autism and Heels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I just you. finished reading it. It was fantastic. I really appreciate that. I have to, I'm gonna be honest and I'm gonna I'm gonna make you out yourself here and, and share what you just shared with me because I love it. So before we before we recorded today, I was asking Catherine, you know, now how gussy do I need to get? But <laughs> is this a video? Is this audio only? What are we gonna make sure that we've gotten? She was so sweet and said, you know, no, this is there's no gussying required. This is just gonna be audio. So I am sitting here in my post-run glory. Let me tell you, everybody, it's a um, we're we're uh, giving you the benefit of not having that today. You are but, glowing. Well, that's called sweat, darling. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> but what was that? Yeah, that's the right thing. It's glowing if you're if you're an old Southern. That's what you're supposed to say. No, but um, I love Catherine's your what you said. If I if I may about why you couldn't wear makeup because that was really sweet. Oh sure. <laughs> you share that. Sure. I said, I, I, I absolutely was not going to wear makeup today because I have spent the last few days, um, consuming your book and just, uh, just bawling like a little baby. <laughs> which I'm like, Oh, that's so great. Which I realized sounds horrible. Right. But you're like, yeah, you're crying your head off. That's it's wonderful. wonderful. No, no, but it's, and I get it. Um, I had said to Catherine that I had this little internal kind of rule that when I'm doing talks that I have to make sure everybody's laughing. That's, that's, you know, because come on, who wants to sit there and listen to stuff? If you're not, you got to learn, but it's going to be fun a little too. Right. And then it's not a good, I haven't done a good job. At least one person didn't come up in tears. So, which, which again, I realize sounds horrible, but it just is, it is that, um, 
you know, that consciousness of, or that the cognizance of knowing that, um, that you're creating a connection where somebody feels seen and feels heard and, and recognizes him or herself, right? That's or themselves. Um, you know, that's, that's what it's about. And so I think for all of us, there is that, um, vulnerability that that doesn't happen too often so when it does you know when i started writing this book i you know so those who are not familiar with the term mind blindness let me just kind of give a little what mind blindness is go um, for it okay so mind blindness is has to do with something called theory of mind and it's a um it has to do with the concept that and the reality that those of us who are on the spectrum we don't organically we don't naturally take somebody else's perspective unless we've been taught to do so right mm-hmm. and so um you know yeah so that being said um mind blindness is is that inability kind of to to step into somebody else's perspective naturally and um I just think that, you know, to have that experience of, of being seen um, and, and understanding one another, especially when this is something that's tripped us up for so long, for so many of us, you know, that that's a, a bit of a triumph in life. And for me, you know, again, I say talk about mind blindness, but I honestly, you know, um, when I was told I was advised to write this book by several folks and, and I thought, who's going to read it. But that, that seems to have been what I've said with each one of my books. Mm-hmm. Clearly, clearly <laughs> You've got I'm, an audience. Well, clearly I'm missing something, you know, but I think like I, my, my second book that I ever wrote, uh, it's called the secret book of social rules, African secret book of social rules. Uh, it's actually been 10 years next year and they're coming out with a 10th anniversary edition. And I can tell you this book, I believe right now is the number one selling in the genre over time. And I, but incredible. I'm telling you, no, well, thank you. But mostly I'm telling you like clearly once again, because it won book of the year for autism society America. And I'm up there at the receiving the award. And I'm going, so I thought nobody really would read this book and not a <laughs> lack of confidence. I just, I started writing it for myself. And so mm-hmm. whatever I, you know, my mind blindness kicks it in the touch every single time. So well, okay. <laughs> that's actually that connection piece is, is where I wanted to start off too, because well, honestly, like I, I knew that and was doing it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> you have obviously connected with millions of people and you're to the point where, you know, at your speaking engagements, women literally follow you into the bathroom <laughs> during breaks. And I don't, I don't usually even, you know, talk to guests before, um, before we do the show, but by chance you and I had a little email back and forth yesterday yeah. and I automatically felt a connection to you and you're so warm and friendly. And, okay. you know, for some of our listeners, you know, those things might not match up to the stereotype of an autistic person who doesn't have empathy or doesn't understand people or, you know, has so much trouble making friends. Right. So what do you have to say about that stereotype and, and where it came from and what yeah. we can do about it? Absolutely. Well, I think so. Okay. Let me see if I can describe this in a good visual way. This is one of those things that if I'm in front of somebody, I can kind of show it with my hands, but um, let me start with the last part of your question, which was the, uh, where did it come from? Where did this, mm-hmm. you know, stereotype? So, well, actually first I should say, yes, I completely concur. It is, you know, there is in out there in the world, there is definitely the vernacular understanding, the common layperson understanding of autism as being someone who is completely antisocial, 
mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, is quote unquote really weird, if you will, right? Um, there's obviously, um, I like to use the phrase either in, in more obvious need of support, mm-hmm. um, right? Or um, more obviously challenged, either one of those, right? So they're looking for the repetitive behaviors that, um, and they're expecting a complete lack of eye contact and, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, are expecting um, for this person to not be interested in making friends, right? They're okay with it, you know, right. all those things, right? And um, essentially like human machines who are just interested in in rote things as opposed to people. And all of those things are true with some people and in varying degrees with lots of people. Mm-hmm. That being said, that ain't the case for everyone. Um, I was uh, the um, social chair for my sorority in college, you know, which I think sounds like about the most opposite you can possibly, you know, imagine. Right. Um, and this is not something that I chose to do. This was something that my peers asked me to do. That's the way it worked in this organization. You didn't like run for an office. They would ask you like as a collective. Oh, wow. So, I mean, Again, with the mind blindness, like seriously, mm-hmm. but you know, I think for a lot of us, um, it's especially for girls and women, it's not even the making of friends, but it's the sustaining and keeping of friendships um, mm-hmm. that takes a lot of different kinds of energy. But that all being said, right, so you go back to the 1930s and you're meeting up with a beautifully named Hans Asperger and which we always <laughs> joke with the kids. I'm like, you know, it's like a hamburger <laughs> patty and, you know, like, and a donkey all together. So um, just awful. And, and we, you know, I should I always mention this now. We've learned that Asperger um, worked with um, the Nazi party. So he also I mean, it's important. Yeah, to, yeah it's important to say that. Um, that many of the children that he worked with um, didn't survive the situation. Um, so that's important to say. Um, but with, with others, they most certainly did. And what he, you know, he studied and then um, put together the patterns that he noticed of behavior among um, boys. So it makes mm-hmm. perfect sense, you know, um, that if you and I are looking at two flowers and I, point out to you a sunflower and I say, well, so Catherine, this is a flower mm-hmm. and it is big and six feet tall and bright and with yellow petals and, you know, a thick stalk and all this. And then I show you a small teacup rose mm-hmm. and I say, is this a flower? Well, it is neither tall nor, you know, six, nor does it, is it yellow, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So maybe looks like it's related somehow because it's got green, but other than that, no. Right. So if we're told that A, B, C, and D are what autism is, mm-hmm. okay. um, just like I said, A, B, C, and D is what this flower is, then we're only going to be expecting A, B, C, and D mm-hmm. because he was noting behaviors as opposed to understanding or looking for why those behaviors, what needs those behaviors were actually mm-hmm. um, trying to meet. So to your point about the stereotype and Um, you know, not shockingly, because he observed certain behaviors in boys, boys fit the the classification a whole lot better. Yeah. I mean, it just makes, it's perfect sense, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Makes perfect sense. So this is where, okay, my little visual, if I can do, Um, if you can imagine um, a, a, uh, 
a vertical timeline, right? So that we can do a little hierarchy. Um, if at the very top, and this is social functioning, okay? Mm -hmm. Ease of social function, um, because we don't want to grade good or bad. There are differences, right? But we can certainly say ease of social function. Mm -hmm. And at that top, you're going to have... Um, uh, neurotypical females, and we're talking about gender assigned at birth. Yeah, neurotypical females. Um, and they are the most highly functioning social creatures on the planet. It is why we talk about girl, girl and girl friendships and relationships being so dang complicated. Mm -hmm. They are, and they are based on nuance and information and information um, sharing or collecting or holding. And it's a whole, oy, 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 very complicated. Okay, you move down just a little bit on this timeline, if you will, or this uh, measurement tool, and you've got paired equally neurotypical males mm -hmm. and neurodiverse females. Mm -hmm. So that is that neurodiverse females tend to act with a social ease level that is about in parity with a neurotypical male. Mm -hmm. And then you move just a little bit further down and you've got uh, neurodiverse males. So what we're expecting and what we think of when we think of the profile or the, you know, the stereotype of autism is we're thinking of, of neurodiverse male as that profile, which is the least socially at ease group that there is, which is mm -hmm. why girls and women have to act out, um, have to act differently and essentially be quote unquote more autistic. Mm -hmm. Right. The, the more distant they are from a neurotypical female is what how boyish, quote unquote, they are, is what gets you noticed and identified, which ain't the case for a lot of people. You know, yeah. I think of Temple Grandin as sort of a quintessential example. And there is a level of androgyny for some people, for some women and girls on the spectrum, for sure. But that's absolutely what, um, you know, that that's not the case for everyone. So I think that when you're looking at that stereotype, the more quote unquote, um, you know, let the less obviously challenged and the less need in uh, obvious support the person. Um, and certainly then add in the dynamic of gender, but regardless of gender, the less obviously in need of support the person does not mean the less autistic, but it certainly does mean the less autistically stereotyped. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, yeah. So let's get into gender a little bit more because I, I think that you're one of the people in our culture right now who has sort of brought this fact to the forefront that um, <laughs> Asperger's diagnostics were all based on boys. And so for so many years, girls have gone undiagnosed and untreated. And I just, I remember being told back in the nineties that most, you know, girls don't usually have autism, but right. when they do, it's really profound. And that was back when we still used the term Asperger's and it was kind of common knowledge. Well, girls don't have Asperger's. Right. That's, oh, that's like, that's definitely for boys. So fast forward 30 years and, you know, we know that's not the case, but all of our diagnostic measures are still outdated. They're still based on boys. So you put together what you call the chick list checklist, <laughs> which just describes what autism looks like in girls and women, um, which I find just so fascinating and so exciting. And 
uh, first of all, I, I'm just curious how you put all this information together. Is it just based sure. on your experience? Just what's the background? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm one for corny names. So there you go. <laughs> oh, I love it. So thank you. Um, but yeah, you know, so I mentioned before that when Asperger was noting behaviors, what he was not doing is he wasn't looking at the reasons why or what needs these behaviors were filling, right? Those or, underlying Yeah, needs. right. And so if you think of this, and, and I talk about this and not just in heels, but um, the, the equation that I first sort of made mentally was... Um, between autism and uh, American, the American Heart Association's Red Dress campaign. So what that basically is slash was, um, is that because medical professionals and medical schools were educating um, both doctors and medical students, when they educated them um, on the presentation of heart disease, right? This is what it looks like when someone comes into the ER and they're having a heart attack. Okay, it looks like A, B, and C. Here's the thing. Women were coming to the ER and they were having E, F, and G symptoms, right? So obviously they're not having a heart attack. We're not even gonna look at that. But Mm -hmm. it turns out that women, the number one killer of women was heart disease. Um, because they were being missed because they didn't present as male um, or the, with the male symptoms, right? So, and this was relatively recently, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's not like the last 10 years. They 10 years ago. Out. Every February, you look, yeah. look on like every cereal box that's remotely not sugary and you'll see like the red dress campaign, you know, it's mm-hmm. a thing, right? Because American Heart Association came up with this campaign to educate the public primarily, but then also the medical professionals mm-hmm. uh, about here's female presentation. You got to know what to look for because literally people's lives are depending upon it. And mm-hmm. that with that campaign has drastically, drastically affected the way um, heart disease is recognized in women. So bully, bully to, to, you know, the American yeah. heart Association. like seriously, um, that's fantastic. I think this is really the same sort of situation, right? Um, the point wasn't so much what they noted was, you know, it might look not ABC, it may look EFG, but what's going on, what's going, the underlying behavior, if you will, of literally the heart muscle, right? Mm -hmm. That behavior is what is the challenge. That's what we're looking for. Well, Mm -hmm. here it's the same thing, right? So, um, you know, one of the classics I give is the idea of lining things up, right? First of all, which in ADOS, which is one of the diagnostic tools um, that, that you have to fill out uh, either as a parent or, you know, as, as an adult, you're mm-hmm. um, filling out about, first of all, which is just so lousy, you're filling it out how often and how badly something is a problem as opposed yeah. to, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to just what, how this person acts. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it pervasive. Feels- all of that language is pervasive oh in all of our diagnostics and treatment. So much so, information. Yes. You're totally on. Yes. Um, is that, uh, you know, <laughs> well, a, a lot of times it'll say like lines up cars and trains and think, first of all, not all little girls have toy cars and trains. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I do make the point that cars behave in tra- like traffic is in lines and trains are straight. Yes. Like, like, I'm just, it's so I'm, true. Like, it's I'm so true. What else are you going to do with a car? Like, anyway, whatever, you know, <laughs> cars don't normally like 
sit in a circle and like smile at each other. I don't know. Anyway, this is me. My autistic mind digresses. <laughs> There's the ADHD, this part of the umbrella that is autism. Um, but the girls might be lining up their cabbage patch dolls or arranging their dollhouse in a particular way. That's correctly. And that's absolutely correct. And when you just said that about in a particular way, arranging in a particular way would be so much of a better way. You know, mm-hmm. it's like going to a museum and seeing tableau, right? You know, where they've got everything mm-hmm. set up. So you might as well be walking into an 18th century living room or whatever the heck may be. Yeah. That's exactly right. So my Barbie dream house was what my, that those were my mm-hmm. tableau. And when I would play with Barbies, for instance, you know, other people are, I don't know, going to the prom or whatever the heck they're doing with their Barbies. My Barbies would act out um, scripts from things that I had heard recently. Like I can clearly yeah. remember because, and there's a difference in place scripting, right? Right. I can clearly remember having watched the news and there was some, I had just learned about transplants. Like I was in elementary school, right? Mm-hmm. And there was some story about somebody having a transplant. So in my play, Barbie was a newscaster who was looking for a transplant for her, her sister Skipper, you know? Mm-hmm. And that would have sounded terribly grim and awful to somebody who was just like, you know, I, I didn't, I have to tell you that I didn't realize that was grim until New York Post wrote about that story and they called it grim. And I thought, oh God, like, I thought it was kind of cool. Okay. Why did you call my childhood? You know, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know that was grim, but I thought it was kind of interesting. But the point, the point being, um, you know, just very different. So, so yeah. mimicking as opposed to original play. Right. What I tried to do, and you asked me how did the checklist checklist come to be? Um, because I realized that now I've like talked through half of our time, at least already. We're only getting through like question two. Sorry. Uh, you never have to worry about interviewing me. No worries. And running out of time or, or not running out of time or looking up for stuff to talk about. Um, yeah, it's basically what I did was I took the, D, well, would it be the DSM-4, the diagnostic criteria mm-hmm. at that point? Um, but also went through and kind of looked at what the vernacular presentation was understood to be invoice although it didn't say invoice it just was mm-hmm. um and i did two things one i tried to change the language so that instead of saying deficit in deficit in kind of thing it was um you know chooses this instead um i wouldn't even say instead just chooses this right chooses this um and then looked for places that could be ways to say an aptitude for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but I, think I have a friend who says they're features, not bugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they know. <laughs> you know, and so it was that, that I kind of, I don't know. And this is, this is when I realized this was part of my own self-diagnosis, which then I had confirmed, but was, I was really unzipping the behaviors that were recognized clinically, you know, mm-hmm. had been recognized clinically in, in general and seeing what was the need. So you just did it organically yourself, right? So when we're saying that the boys or that people, which AKA boys would line up toys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I didn't line up, you know, cars and trucks, but I thought about what would I literally try? I literally put myself in the perspective of these boys and thought, okay, what would feel good about that? Mm-hmm. And what felt good about that was 
things that I liked were uh, were obvious and could be seen. So they were on display. That would be a way to share things with people, like which isn't really sharing. It's just displaying, right? It was parallel mm-hmm. play. But mm-hmm. um, and the order would feel so lovely in not having there's no chaos. It's just this beautiful, lovely display of things that I like. Mm-hmm. And that's when I said, okay, well, if that's what they're trying to achieve, I can say how I did that. And that's when I thought about the Barbies and blah, blah, blah and how I would, yeah. you know, stand mm-hmm. in front of a fireplace and take pictures that were there. That was like a wedding album for them, mm-hmm. right? Because it was tableau. Mm-hmm. So you see, so you just did the same thing naturally. It's looking for what is the underlying need uh, behind that particular behavior and how can that translate amongst girls and women, right? Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't say just girls and women. I've had, I've only learned the word, the term cis male recently, mm-hmm. which I did not know that one. So I'm learning folks, I'm learning, right? So, <laughs> uh, to anybody else out there who doesn't know that word or just it's that, um, that is, is biologically male and f- feels like that fits the appropriate, you know, they fit that. So, so cis guys have said, oh yeah, no, actually, I did that too. And I did that too. Well, again, mm-hmm. one of the things I always say is before and after everything else, we are all on the human spectrum. Absolutely. Right? And those of us who are in the autism part of the human spectrum, just because you're a guy doesn't mean you don't also, for instance, um, or haven't studied uh, biographies because you wanted to learn how to emulate, how to be, mm-hmm. you know? So basically that's what I did is I went through every single one and I tried to pr- first find what is the underlying need and how did I meet it? Can and you give our I, listeners just a couple of examples? Sure. So one of, well, one of them was definitely um, the organization, like lining things up, right? So mm-hmm. that was definitely one. Um, another one I just mentioned was, um, right. So, well, scripting, um, scripted play, sensory things. Yes. Um, I could think about that too. There, you know, um, shoes as little girls were put in so many different outfits and things. Um, and I could remember the challenges of, you know, wearing learning, you have to wear a, uh, like a flip-flop with a thong in between. I learned, oh yes, I did. But I could also tell you about the times when my grandmother took me shoe shopping and you would have thought that I was embarrassing her amongst the whole world because I, every single pair of cute little Mary Janes with patent leather mm-hmm. pitched and I wouldn't get them because I didn't want to get in trouble for getting a pair of Mary Janes that I wouldn't wear. But I did get in trouble because I embarrassed her. Now, one a little boy, you're probably just going to get him a pair of sneakers and that you're done. But it's a very different thing with a girl, right? Um, another one definitely that I noticed was the biographies. And it was the way of, um, of studying. And this would be where you would talk about echolalia. Mm-hmm. So echolalia is the phenomenon where um, people on the spectrum, especially as children, tend to maybe mimic um, a sound and repeat a sound mm-hmm. or, or word back without necessarily having a communicative need for that. Um, hence the echo in echolalia. But, and I realized that, that, that uh, copying, like I said, biographies achieved a similar thing in that you were, um, you were simply copying, you were internalizing a copy, something mm-hmm. to copy and put out there. Mm-hmm. It's that same without having to come up with it organically, playing with the echo, playing with the echo of a person as much as playing with the echo of a sound. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Also did notice, however, that a lot of us are dang good with mimicking accents and there's your adult echolalia. Um, but kind of just went through things like that um, and saw how, for instance, eating disorders, right? I think I've come mm-hmm. in a big time that is anyone who's struggling with an eating disorder should be screened for being on the spectrum because um, I think we are, you know, it, obviously it's a problem for men, women, you know, girls, boys, yes, in general. Um, and, but you see a epidemic of it within people on this, or girls in particular on the spectrum, um, because you're talking about a population that is more rigid in thinking, likes the idea of sort of a information spread out than a spreadsheet kind of way that you can look and control and mm-hmm. that control, right. Artificial sense of control to deal with anxiety. Um, that's a, that's a biggie that you didn't see as much with the boys, but it was still wrestling that with that sense of control. So yeah, yeah. checklist, checklist, it, it emerged and then was enhanced. I will say by, you know, um, the more time I spent talking to and presenting to and getting feedback from people around the world, it was like, okay, you know, we need to include their stories as much as possible. So yeah, it is a qualitative report, if you will. Well, it's a part of your your latest book, Autism and Heals, but I understand you also have a download that our listeners can find online. Yes. Is that so, right? We will put the link in the show notes for people so that they can go on and check that out because I think that it's really something that um, everyone in this community should read and be aware of. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's just a couple pages, everybody, and you know, mostly bullet points. Um, but I it makes writing. so much sense though. Thank you. I you know, I'm I love hearing that. You know, there's another one I'm doing and I'm looking off to, I'm looking off to the left. My eye contact is distinct, but different than, than they expected with one is I do make eye contact. It's just that then I look away when I'm thinking and then mm-hmm. I'm talking, right? Mm-hmm. Learn how to do it differently, but it's not an absolute. And I is, think that, is Zoom a good, uh, good for you for oh, eye contact? My, I, well, I need, <laughs> like, I need it. Like, I was so excited when you said, you know, um, regardless of it being an audio recording that we're still going to have those, like, you know, the, the visual, because that is such a thing, right? Like you need to take one more, so, like emotional social cue away from right. your brain, you know, like <laughs> I'm really handicapped now. So, so I think it's wonderful. So yeah, no, the checklist checklist, um, you know, I, I recommend people use it, share it when um, you're trying to decide number one, do, does this, do I fit this? Does this fit me? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and the more that it's a yes, then that's something then that you can, if you want to go through the process of formal diagnosis, which is not necessary all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, I I say that too, right. Unless if you are somebody who has children on the spectrum and you want to be able to advocate better for them, or if you are someone who's going to try to access, um, social services in some way or another, um, then that's important. But, um, Otherwise, for the most part, I think a, a self-diagnosis honestly can can work, can be just fine. But it for, is, for people 
For people looking for a diagnosis as an adult, though, um, I've heard that it's very hard. It's very difficult to find someone to assess. Yes, that's why one of the things that I try to suggest using is the checklist checklist, because Mm -hmm. what people will do is kind of use it to enumerate their own I almost didn't want to say proving points, right? Which is which is horrid that it has to be proving points, but that's the case. Mm-hmm. So that they have something tangible to go into the psychologist or the doctor's office and say, you know, here are the here are the many reasons in clear black and white that I think this fits me. Because unfortunately, you're 100 percent right. It's still so misunderstood, and you know, so um, because those stereotypes are still there. If yeah. you've got the enumeration and you've got those black and white bullet points, it's a Mm -hmm. lot easier to say, and here's why, and I'm not just trying to, you know, get something off of you. So there's a story that you tell in your book, where as a little girl, you comfort another younger little girl who's crying. And then you tell her, and then you say, you say helping frightened people to feel less alone has always kind of been your thing. Yeah. And that it really struck me when I found out about your new program, Belong, um, which is, uh, you know, I'll ask you to tell us more about it. But my understanding is it's sort of a, a place where autistic people can connect with each other and learn on the Internet. And it sort of feels like that's sort of, um, you know, just an echo of that same uh, that same Jennifer who was there trying to uh, trying to comfort this little girl. Can you tell us about Belong? Yeah, what an incredible connection that you just made. Like that was spot on and no one has ever made that connection before between those two things ever. So good on you, like way to be the interviewer. <laughs> no, that was really, really, really good. I think that a lot of us who have felt marginalized have, you know, feel a passion to help those who are feeling marginalized now or, you know, just or mm-hmm. are afraid. Um, so that, yeah, that was really, really, really good, Catherine. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, you know, yeah. And that does speak to that, you know, um, we talk about theory of mind, which is, um, again, that natural being able, being able to step into somebody else's um, point of view and perspective. And that is something that we cannot do. The problem is that that is what is often called empathy. Um, and it's not, it's only one kind of empathy and there are two cognitive and, um, uh, effective. And the, the, we, um, those, those of us on the spectrum, once we learn, um, how to relate to somebody, we recognize an experience that somebody else is going through in what we've gone through, we can be the most compassionate people in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So yet another stereotype that we need to just go bing, bang, squash. Um, it's, just for our listeners, can you just define cognitive empathy and sure? So it's it effective sounds, empathy. It, yeah, it sounds the opposite of what right. So cognitive is where you're stepping into um, the other person's shoes naturally, and effective is where you're where you're learning it, and um, which sounds like it should be cognitive. So it always makes me think like oh, because you're learning it's cognitive, but it's not. It's the other kind. So and that's where that is the learned part, right? So that is the I see you, I recognize. You know, there's, I remember a story of a little boy named Edward who um, I ran this little, little class community thing at, uh, it was at our church and he was in there for, um, because he wasn't in a regular education class and um, he was nonverbal, used an iPad and in the beginning of the year, he, you know, uh, was really a challenge to help to feel calm and to, you know, um, to connect with 
there was no obvious connection with other people. That's why I always say like, hmm, no obvious connection. It doesn't mean that it ain't happening, right? right. You know, yeah. and it, yeah. clearly it was because mm, I want to say three quarters of the way through the year, there had been enough of a, a change in that um, my son was having a meltdown and Edward went over to my son and very stiffly, but adorably and preciously, and yes, I cried, Edward put his hand on my son's shoulder and just went tap, tap, and then walked away, you know, in a, in a, it's okay yeah. kind of thing. And <clears throat> they still get it because Cheers. there's this kid who everyone thinks is completely shut off. But what he, what he did was the kind of empathy that we can muster like crazy cakes is that he saw a situation that he could relate to. And then he did, he echoed the behavior that had helped him. So the effective empathy is, and that's effective with an A for our listeners, the effective empathy is sort of like, I think of it as the person who's experiencing the empathy, um, showing it, like showing it on their affect, like showing, showing that you care and actually caring and the cognitive piece, um, which is something that neurotypical people have without trying is the sort of like understanding of what other people are thinking and feeling and just sort of like naturally reacting to it. And it can be it can be a situation that they that they don't necessarily relate to in any way. Yeah, yeah. And that's the difference, right? Yeah. We have to find in in whatever experience somebody's going through something about it that relates to ourselves and our own experience, mm-hmm. which then looks and sounds self self centered, and which is mm-hmm. where you get that you're only talking about yourself. How many times can you say I in a sentence, right? But it's really self referenced, and that's a very big difference than self centered. Um, you know, and so do you, is there a course about this or do you talk about the different forms of empathy in your program belong? So belong started off as, and I have to say, I am really proud of this one. Um, what happened with autism and heels was, you know, went out there and, and obviously started resonating and, I was getting questions and we talked about the, you know, the following me into a bathroom. And yeah, that is true because it was people saying, okay, now what next, what next, what next? And there was no, what next, mm-hmm. um, you know, where do I go? What do, right. what do I do? How do I connect with people? Educate, educate the whole wide world, right. You know, about what <laughs> to look for if you're a professional, but even yeah. so there wasn't, um, anything that was, um, supportive, but not just like, a Facebook group, but mm-hmm. something that was led by, um, you know, someone who knew what they were talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. so you don't have myths and you don't have, um, silliness, silly pettiness getting in the way either. Right. Yeah. It's just, there had to be something. And because there wasn't, I thought, okay, I guess we're going to have to make that. I mean, that's what mother necessity is another invention. Right. So, so yeah. Um, so belong is I call it a virtual wonderland of like a wonderfulness uh, for, for it's primarily women um, who are adult diagnosed. Um, some, a lot are self-diagnosed. It's not important that you have somebody having written, you know, um, something down on a piece of paper for yourself. Um, it is about, it is a, a it begins with a journey, um, a course called mistake to miracle. 
And that is really learning basically everything um, in expanded version that we talk about, we've talked about today and we, that I talk about in heels um, is a, um, a journey personally from that place where you think perhaps I am a mistake to a place of feeling truly like I belong and I am uh, some kind of crazy old miracle. And um, it is um, really powerful to watch that happen. And there's, as with anything, I, like I said before, they've got to be laughs because if there are no laughs and the tears are just depressing. So, you know, like, <laughs> you got to have all of it in there. And it's definitely the case. Um, and there is also a closed community. Um, so you have people, the, the first thing you do is you make a pledge, which is th that I'll be real for you so you can be real for me. And that's the kind of environment that it is. We've got people, we've got members now in 12 countries around the world, um, which is like incredible because we've only just been doing this for a year. You know, and I started yes. off with 20 people just to see, mm -hmm. like, you know, instantly we were getting folks from around the world. Um, it's been it's been truly phenomenal um, to see the way um, there are mass. I say the master classes with glo global game changers. And we just had the gal who is basically how do I put it? The head of all things autism at the National Institutes of Health, you know. Mm -hmm reports to the secretary of, you know, of health and human services, um, all the way to, you know, diagnosticians to, um, golly, just some of the most fantastically interesting people around the world do. And, and I didn't mean around the world doing things and saying things and creating things in the world of autism. Um, we have live Q and A's with me every two weeks, um, because I feel like that's super important. And I mm -hmm. want realize how connected they are not only to each other but that they really do matter to me which they do because I'm a dork and uh you know and it's true it's really really true we just had our Q&A today and um you know just talking about radical acceptance and how how loved yes. they really are and being able to say what your their needs are their wants are and being there for each other it's it's pretty special so I'm proud of it yeah <laughs> And you had mentioned that it's a membership based and a closed community. So this is sort of like a safe space for, is it for autistic people only? Um, you know, again, because you don't have to be diagnosed, it is primarily people who are on the spectrum or, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, because the role really is to taking that journey from, from feeling like a mistake to being a miracle. So we're certainly not going to, you know, there, we do have some parents of, of like, for instance, teen girls or, or not, but, you know, um, who, aren't and are going through the course with their their child but mm -hmm. primarily yeah there are adult women who are on the spectrum so adult you know anywhere from 20s to 60s so it's been it's been amazing so yeah it, it does like I said it starts off with the course um I only open the membership every three months because I am really involved with everyone and I want mm -hmm. folks to um kind of get the best that I possibly can and when you join you tend to have more questions and need a little bit more reassurance so um yeah so we start off with the course and uh, a couple of months free membership just to get people feeling comfortable. And, and during that time, I, I closed the doors. So the next time the door doors open, um, the very end of October. Uh, okay. So it's a lucky week. It's the week of my birthday. So that means good, good things will have to happen. Oh, that's right. You're a Scorpio. I am a Scorpio. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, we're supposed to be mysterious. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> mysterious. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a side. If, if you... 
go to the checklist checklist download. That's one way you can get on mm-hmm. the list to make sure that I'll let you know about belong. And another way is simply, um, you, I know you're going to have the link in the show notes. As yes. Well. We will have the link in the show notes for so, people to go to, to get on yeah. the list, to be notified when it's. Yes, that's exactly right. A little, get a little reminder of here, here we go, folks. So fantastic. Yeah. Um, one of the things that had me in tears so frequently in your book um, was that you are someone who has experienced more than your fair share of rejection, pain. And in becoming a public figure, you have sort of like really opened yourself up to the world, to more criticism. And I just, before we end, I just want you to help me understand how you found that courage because it's, I just find it you know, absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. Um, a lot for saying that, um, you know, the truth is maybe that's a benefit of my mind blindness. Um, that somebody talking about themselves, like I could just never imagine doing anything hurtful with that toward them. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps the naivete, you know, started off like that. And in the beginning, I started off doing this for my kids, right? So the first book was about parenting and teaching kids on Mm -hmm. the spectrum from the perspective of somebody who that was asked for kids from the perspective Mm -hmm. of somebody who's on the spectrum, right? So I started off doing it about for them. And I didn't expect ever to get to a place of talking about like the most kind of raw, brutal moments of my own life. Um, I didn't expect that you know, 10 years down the line, that's what I was going to be writing about. Um, Heels is a very different book in that sense. Um, Yeah. Talk about vulnerability. Yeah. So I, I guess without sounding too goofy, um, the, I'm trying to think of the first book that I wrote uh, was the first time I talked a little bit about being bullied as in, in, when I was in middle school. Um, and again, I was writing about parenting and, and teaching kids on the spectrum, but it was in a way of kind of understanding what it felt like to be the other as a child. Mm-hmm. And what was really interesting is that um, two of, there were two girls in particular who had been kind of awful. And as adult, I guess they got wind of the first book and uh, I obviously do not name names. There's no reason, right? Cause this isn't about me. Right. It's right. not about me at all. It's about the issues, but they both reached out and apologized. Oh, wow. Um, and, and my reaction was, you know, without sounding too cheesy was um, you know what? It was hell back at the time in the day don't get me wrong mm-hmm. um would never want to go through it again but and i'm glad that i did or else i wouldn't have this to talk about and i mm-hmm. wouldn't have the opportunity to be saying things that other people who for whatever reason aren't comfortable speaking out loud you know can still relate to and that matters to me and i think the other part of it is theater i did <laughs> I, you know, um is that i i was I, I danced for 20 years and i was on stage musical theater and all that good stuff so i think i'm very used to i know i'm very used to kind of um you know being in a being in front of it if you will an audience that being said it's very very different the the uh connection the the humor of the truths of standing in front of an audience and talking about the secret social rules that you know and Mm -hmm. and calling them by funny names um and talking about privately or you know writing about some of the most vulnerable kind of ouch uh, you know scariest moments of my own life right that that was different it's difficult and different difficult only in the sense of you have to relive it to write it 
but boy, it is, it is strange to, you know, to meet people who like know about your whole life, right? never met them. It's yeah. a little bit weird, yeah. but, but it's always, I have yet to hear anybody. No one has ever come to me, you know, with any of those, having read any of the books and been anything other than respectful for the experiences. So I appreciate that very much. I'm glad. And I appreciate your vulnerability, your honesty, your public service to our community. It's pretty incredible. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Catherine, for having me. I appreciate it. It was great to meet you. To say that Jennifer is autistic or an author or a fabulous woman that I wish was my best friend would all be true, but a totally incomplete description. Her life story is informative about how autism manifests in girls and women, but additionally, it's just fascinating. She was a dancer, an overachiever, a sorority girl, and a domestic violence activist. We weren't even able to scratch the surface of everything I wanted to touch on, so I really recommend you read her book. I just began reading some of her Asper Kids books, and they are also fantastic. I feel really lucky to have gotten to speak to her, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can listen to our other episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. As always, we appreciate your reviews and ratings if you're so inclined. And if you have show ideas or a question for us, email us at allautismtalk at learnbehavioral.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook at, at Autism Therapies. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.